In this episode of Three Future Med Students Talk About History. Surveillance, and lots of it. I projected 450 million cameras watching each and every citizen. And social, social scores based on behavior consistent with the state. It sounds almost dystopian to us Americans. Anybody know what country I'm talking about? It's gotta be China. But I thought we were talking about leadership and crisis management in this podcast series, right? That's right. And so today we're going to just scratch the surface of China's complicated politics. Overly complicated right now, I should say, due to the threat that presents arguably the most pressing global crisis since the Second World War. For some context on the meat and potatoes of our episode, we will be focusing on China's current president, Xi Jinping, his pseudo-dictatorship in the People's Republic of China, and how it has been and currently is being tested by the greatest calamity of our young generation. Calamity? Do you mean the implementation of e-learning and variants in T20 schools? Because that's a calamity if I've ever seen one. <laughs> nice one, Chris, but no, not that one. And unfortunately for China, this threat is one that even perfected propaganda cannot disguise. Those security cameras aren't well equipped enough to deal with the even the most microscopic threats. Or are they? Oh, you mean the coronavirus. And good question. All right, let's get right into the discussion. Welcome back. This will be our final episode of our now pretty much canceled due to extraneous circumstances mini-series on crisis management. I'm Jonathan Lewis, and I'm here talking over the phone with my partner, Hisham, once again. And together we will be talking to Chris, who, for the sake of our episode's guiding structure, has very little background knowledge of the material in this episode. We want to keep the structure of the podcast pretty much the same, even though the current circumstances have definitely affected our work. Similar to the last episode, today's CED focus comes from AP Government Content Objectives 5.1, Impact of Global Economic and Technological Forces, and 1.9, Sustaining Legitimacy. Special focus on that second one. It's especially relevant in China as we speak. Okay, so based on current events right now, we figured that talking about the coronavirus and crisis management was a perfect topic to end our series with. Chris, can you give us an indication of the background info you know on the coronavirus in China? Um, I do know a bit about China and the coronavirus, as it's the reason I've been basically locked in my room for the past month. But you know what? I'm all ears. Well, in that case, I think maybe starting off with a few statistics might be helpful then. Um, it's believed the virus originated in Wuhan, China, the capital city of Hubei province. Um, from there, the virus spread like wildfire. And frankly, that's the most accurate way of describing it, because there's no clear information that explains how exactly it spread as of now. It's evidently been extremely far-reaching, and over 185 countries and territories have confirmed cases as of today. Over 2.2 million cases and 150,000 deaths have been confirmed from around the world. Wow, those numbers are wild and also terrifying. So scientists don't really know what happened, and obviously there's no vaccine yet, right? Yep, you're right. That's why it still looms large as a major threat in the United States right now. It is indeed a major threat, but I think we'll come back to that thought a little bit later to close out today's episode. Um, for now, let's refocus and talk about our leader. That's right. Today we will be discussing the forging and refining of China's current president, Xi Jinping, and his handling of COVID-19. Xi? Before our CompGov class, I had never heard this guy's name before. That's an interesting point. You know, as a bit of a thought experiment, uh, experiment 
I asked some of my family members if they knew who Xi Jinping was, and the answer I got was a resounding no. This sort of surprised me because he's the president of the most populous country on earth, and yet I bet a great majority of Americans don't even know who he is. Do you think there's a specific reason why that is? Well, Xi Jinping is one of those world leaders that characteristically has not been a major part of the global media, especially in the U.S., and that's largely due to media censorship in China. Um, newspapers and media that are permitted in China write about Xi in appraisal because writing anti-government opinions can put those citizens in a whole lot of trouble. And on top of that, we hear about China all the time in the news, but not necessarily who's behind what's happening in China. Okay, well, that makes sense. So how did this guy become so powerful? Xi Jinping's childhood was lived in relative luxury and comfort. Son of Xi Jiangsun, a previous deputy prime minister and a comrade of Mao Zedong. However, Xi Jiangsun fell out of favor with Mao and the Chinese government as he criticized the Cultural Revolution in Tiananmen Square. And this resulted in Xi being forced to live in the countryside where he worked for six years as a manual laborer on an agricultural farm. Wow, what a fall from grace, huh? Well, this hard labor did have its benefits. Uh, Xi was able to use his connections with the locals to eventually rise into the ranks of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Huh, so how did he actually rise up in the CCP? Xi first entered the CCP after he attended university in Beijing. He started by working as a secretary under Geng Biao, a vice premier and minister of defense. From there, he followed a multitude of various CCP party jobs, which required him to move all around China. Ooh, like what? Well, if you really want to know, he was the deputy secretary for the CCP in Hebei province. In 1985, he was appointed a party committee member and a vice mayor of Xiamen in Fujian province. In 1995, he had ascended to the post-deputy provisional party secretary, and in 1999, she became acting governor of Fujian and became actual governor the following year. In 2007, she was fortunate enough to benefit from a large Shanghai leadership scandal, allowing him to take over as Shanghai's party secretary. With this position, he built up a reputation of cautiousness and a strong belief in following party lines. He wanted to focus on stabilization and rehabilitation for Shanghai. Holy cow. Does this guy ever sleep? <laughs> you tell me. Uh, anyways, his power exponentially elevated as he was chosen to the Politburo Standing Committee at the 17th Party Congress in 2007 and ranked above Li Qiang, uh, China's current premier of the State Council of the People's Republic of China. It was this ranking that predicted Xi to be uh, Hu Jintao's successor to, as the next president of China, a prediction further supported when Xi was elected as the vice president of China at the 11th National People's Congress. However, Xi's pass to the presidency was not guaranteed. There was a rival rising quickly in the ranks of the NPC by the name of Bo Xilai. However, Bo's political career came to an abrupt end when he became entangled in the Wang Lijun incident, where Bo's wife, Gu Kailai, was involved in the killing of British businessman Neil Haywood over a money dispute. Bo moved quickly to try and suppress an investigation into his family by weighing by demoting, by demoting him and restraining several people working with him, as alleged by the March 2012 Communist Party report. This led to the end of Bo's contention for the leadership of the party, dismissal from the Politburo, and eventually charges of corruption and abuse of power. From there, it was a pretty swift ascension to power for Xi. 
basically the takeaways from that complicated political blurb is that one, she worked his way eventually to a position of power, and two, he's now a very powerful individual in China. Currently, Xi holds the following titles, uh, General Secretary of the Communist Party of China, President of the People's Republic of China, and Chairman of the Central Military Commission, or CMC. This sort of three-pronged position of power gives him a lot of authority and capacity to shape China's future as he pleases. Okay, okay, okay. He obviously, he obviously has a lot of influence in Chinese society. So where does that leave him with respect to the coronavirus? Well... China's response to coronavirus is important in this discussion because it was a country of origin, the first country to have any scientific knowledge about the virus and associated disease, and was the first nation that was forced to react to this now global problem. It appears that the coronavirus originated in Wuhan, China, due to the lack of regulation in their public outdoor markets. One widespread theory is that many of their civilians were subject to the virus from the food sold at these markets. And after certain foods were not adequately prepared and they were sold, coronavirus was unleashed on those individuals and to the rest of the people living in Wuhan quickly. But honestly, there's no real way of knowing the true cause for right now. Speculation is all that we can do in that regard, but we can try to discuss China's response to the virus instead. So obviously, because the virus got to the U.S. and tons of other countries, something went wrong, right? Was Xi and his administration effective? Well, the initial response was far from adequate. Warning was initially given about the, a SARS-like disease back in December of 2019 by a Wuhan physician named Li Wenliang, but was quickly suppressed by the government, and Li was told to stop spreading, quote, false comments. It wasn't until Li died later in February from the coronavirus that mass occurred in China, threatening Xi's legitimacy to such an extent that he had to go back out of the spotlights and place Li Keqiang in charge of handling the pandemic. This type of anti-government outrage was so massive that continued through the usual, the usual methods of arresting or disconnecting was not feasible. At the time, some considered that it would actually lead to radical political changes in China, calling for more transparency. On top of that, here's an excerpt from a CNBC article that was published just a few days ago on April 15th. Quote, uh, the documents show that the head of China's National Health Commission, Ma Jiawei, laid out a grim assessment of the situation on January 14th in a confidential teleconference with provincial health officials. A memo states that the teleconference was held to convey instructions on the coronavirus from President Xi Jinping, Premier Li Keqiang, and Vice Premier Sun Shenlong but does not specify what those instructions were, end quote. The article continues on to say that the first indication of warning from Xi came on January 20th, six days later. So was this evidence of incompetence? I'll leave that for you to think about. Yikes. So did Xi's administration do anything right during this mess? Yes, well, sort of. Um, following massive public outrage and pressure on the government to act, China did a full 180 and enforced draconian lockdown measures, banning, in some cases, almost all forms of travel, with the exception of getting food and seeking medical attention. As it turned out, these methods were actually quite successful, as new reported cases peaked and then eventually receded to lower numbers. In some cases, uh, cities like Wuhan, no new cases were being reported on a daily basis. However, it's important to note that restrictions of this severity are almost impossible to establish in Western democracies. And Xi Jinping has been using this to bolster support for the one-party rule system and nationalism in China. 
what was once a great threat to Xi's administration may very well become his greatest victory in establishing and sustaining legitimacy for himself, as well as China's political system. Wow. So basically, even though they messed up, they turned it into a big win without really being held accountable for their mistakes? That's right, Chris. As it is, history is written by the winners. Huh, that's deep. Okay, so where do we end this discussion? What's the right answer? Again, difficult to say. We're currently living through this crisis, and the entire world is looking for a solution. This is the first time that our generation has faced such a problem, and the world is panicking. <laughs> what a lighthearted way to finish up this episode. But to take it on a deeper tone, I just want to discuss coronavirus and its impact on our lives especially. I know for me that it's kind of a bummer having to cancel all our prom, graduation, and end-of-the-year events. Being seniors especially, this is the time where we could finally cut back and actually have fun while we have our last days within school, but we don't have that opportunity anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been It's been really difficult to try and, like think of ways to use our time effectively and wisely instead of just wasting it. I think that like e-learning has allowed us to become even lazier than we already were. That's a good point. And I mean, especially looking forward, it doesn't seem like social distancing is going to be gone anytime soon. I know Harvard had came out and said it might be there until 2022. And I, have a man- I imagine that quarantine is probably going to take place over the summer as well, and that's going to be even more boring than now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that would, that would well, be even worse news than what we have yeah. now. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you guys have any plans for what you're going to do if corona just keeps continuing to affect our population and social distancing is kept up? I don't know what Honestly, social distancing really. is going to look like <laughs> in college, because, I mean, we're not going to be at <laughs> yeah, home that's anymore. that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I mean, us three are all seniors, so we're going to have to see how that turns out. We might start college at home, and that'd be crazy. Yeah. That'd like, be... You would just never think that anything like this would happen. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Mm-hmm. We're living in something that's going to be in the history textbooks. It's kind of <laughs> crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> it will be interesting um, to see how history looks those? upon this. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I wish it was just, you know, maybe freshman or sophomore year. I think it's kind of sad for our senior year, but that's yeah, my the, final thought. The timing's not great, but obviously there's nothing we can do. So, I mean, we'll try and use the time we have to the best of our ability, finish off the school year strong, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, perfect. Uh, thank you to the following databases for our information about coronavirus in today's episode. Britannica, CNBC, foreignpolicy.com, Nature.com, Bloomberg, ForeignAffairs.com, The Guardian, NBC News, The New York Times, Al Jazeera, and Worldometers.info for coronavirus statistics. Thanks for listening.